Hey everyone, it's James Lindsay. You were listening to the New Discourses podcast. And I don't know if you guys know, but there's kind of a dangerous current of post-liberalism happening throughout the West. Now, I'm pretty sure you're aware of the woke aspect of this, but there's a post-liberal right as well. And this is kind of centered in this sort of, um, I mean, you, you've heard it a little bit in this, nas- uh, this uh, what do I call it, uh, Christian nationalism. Uh, I don't call it that. They call it that. This Christian nationalism movement that I did some podcasts on previously, but they have a movement that they're calling national conservatism, and sometimes it's called common good conservatism. Um, it is explicitly post-liberal. It's kind of characterized by blaming classical liberalism for kind of evolving like a Pokemon into communism that's uh, very dangerous. And the, the John Locke is largely with his emphasis on the idea that we have natural rights that are inalienable, including life, liberty, and property, because we are somehow individuals. They kind of derive off of people like Carl Truman and argue that uh, following Hegel, as it turns out, that this leads to not individuality, but atom- atomism, uh, becoming atomic as people, and thus losing what it means to live in a common good society, uh, kind of a character associated with this national conservative program is Yoram Hazoni uh, as kind of a prominent voice on kind of the Catholic integralist side. You have Adrian Vermeule, a law professor, I think, I think something from Harvard, um, and there's a number of other characters as well. And uh, the the Christian nationalist movement is kind of tied up in this and kind of friendly to it and kind of not. Uh, you actually have members of, say, the Southern Baptist Convention aligning with national conservatism as a movement. For example, Al Mohler, uh, president of Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, spoke at the National Conservatism Conference in um, uh, in Miami. I think it was in Miami last fall, as did... Uh, did Ron DeSantis, but Ron DeSantis speaks at a lot of things, so let's not get too wrapped up. Um, if I'm not mistaken, it, Peter Thiel also was involved in speaking there, but I'm not positive about that. I didn't go. Um, some people wondered why I didn't go, and I kind of laughed about that because I'm not post-liberal. I actually believe that classical liberalism does not necessarily evolve into communism any more than Catholic. The Catholicism naturally evolves into liberation theology, or that. Um, Protestant theology naturally evolves into the social gospel, say of Walter Rauschenbusch, which was a precursor to the social justice movement in left-leaning Christianity, which most of the Baptists were until the revival in the 50s. And so, not all the Baptists, but most of the Baptists. So, I don't think that classical liberalism naturally evolves into um, communism, obviously. In fact, I think that the absolute uh, standing up for individual rights which involves challenging both government power and also challenging corporate power uh, at some level with antitrust, for example, anti-monopoly, is uh, anti-gigantic merger kind of approaches, I think is actually necessary to uh, defending those individual rights against their, which I think are genuinely natural rights, against their encroachment or abrogation. So anyway, there's this post-liberal movement on the right that just like the post-liberal movement we call woke on the left wants to throw liberalism in the toilet. Now, kind of strangely, many of the people in this movement and tangential to this movement, surrounded by this movement, think that communism is not just an extension of liberalism, but they call the woke left, which are leftists, which are Marxists, which are not liberal, which have been openly criticizing liberalism 
for a century or more openly against it. As far as the woke go, I mean, critical race theory was founded to critique the idea of liberal societies and law systems from an angle of race agitation. So they, for some reason, call the people who support this stuff because they're on the left liberals when they're not liberals. We don't have liberals on college campuses. We have leftists. We have Marxists. We have communists. We have so-called democratic socialists who are identical with Marxists. These people are not liberals. They're openly illiberal, openly anti-liberal, just like their counterparts on the right who mistakenly call them liberals. And I think that this is a symptom of a deeper um, straw manning, misunderstanding of liberalism. So I want to actually read a little bit. The, the point of this podcast is I'm going to read a little bit about this kind of post-liberal or anti-liberal stance. Okay. So for here, here, for example, it says liberalism rejects and stands, uh, sorry, um, liberalism rejects ideological advancement and stands for unprincipled peace, thus giving rise to a decadent Philistine attitude and bringing about political de degeneration in certain units and individuals. Liberalism manifests itself in various ways. So let's hear if this sounds like a straw man. To let things slide for the sake of peace and friendship when the friend has clearly gone wrong and refrain from principled argument because he's an old acquaintance, a fellow townsman, a schoolmate, a close friend, a loved one, an old colleague, or subordinate. Or to touch the matter lightly instead of going into it thoroughly so as to keep them on good terms. The result of that is both the organization and the individual are harmed, and this is one type of liberalism. So actually, you know taking into account other aspects of your relationship and not constantly having the argument about the common good is one type of liberalism. So not holding everybody to kind of a moral standard that you think is the one right moral standard for the common good is one type of liberalism, even if they're your friend or family. Keeping the peace, keeping the relationship, whatever, that's apparently a form of liberalism. To indulge in irresponsible criticism in private instead of actively putting forward one's suggestions to the organization. To say nothing to people to their faces, but to gossip behind their backs, or to say nothing at a meeting, but to gossip afterwards, to show no regard at all for the principles of collective life, but to follow one's own inclination. This is a second type of liberalism. To let things drift as if, or sorry, if to let things drift if they do not affect one personally, to say as little as possible while knowing perfectly well what is wrong, to be worldly, worldly wise and play safe, and seek only to avoid, avoid blame. This is a third type of liberalism. Not to obey commandments, but to give pride of place to one's own opinions, to demand special consideration from the organization, but to reject its discipline. This is a fourth type of liberalism. To indulge in personal attacks, pick quarrels, vent personal spite, or seek revenge with brothers, instead of entering into an argument and struggling against incorrect views for the sake of unity or progress or getting the work done properly. This is a fifth type of liberalism. Does this sound like they're characterizing classical liberalism, the idea that you have individual rights, that the big purpose of a state is to be as minimal as possible and to secure those rights against tyranny, to hear incorrect views without rebutting them, and even to hear counter-revolutionary, wait, what? To hear counter-revolutionary remarks without reporting them, but instead to take them calmly as if nothing has happened. This is a sixth type of liberalism. To be among the masses and fail to conduct propaganda and agitation, 
or speak at meetings or conduct investigations and inquiries among them and instead to be indifferent to them and show no concern for their well-being, forgetting that one is a communist and behaving as if one were an ordinary non-communist. This is a seventh type of liberalism. And so now the jig is up. That's how far we get. So I'm actually not reading something from a post-liberal right winger, and maybe some of it didn't quite fit because I didn't actually try to adapt it beforehand. I just was kind of winging it and screwed up a few times. I am reading from the selected works of Mao Zedong. And in September, on September 7th, 1937, he published a very famous piece called Combat Liberalism. In case anybody had any confusion in their mind about whether liberalism becomes communism or if liberalism has to be defeated in order to install communism, just like liberalism has to be defeated to install a post-liberal reactionary right, let the, the, those doubts go to rest. The title of Mao's argument is, this is a very famous argument, is Combat Liberalism. And this is from 37. Mao didn't take power till the end of 49. So this is early and relatively early in his career. He kind of got his career beginning as a CCP operative, I think in 1923. So he's actually about 14 years member of the, or at least operative for the CCP, but he isn't to be in power for another 12 years after this, uh, a little over 12 years. So let me actually read Combat Liberalism. I started this way, took a little time to kind of give you a picture that the post-liberal right is not that different from the post-liberal left. They're actually basically the same thing. And this was an argument made to take China in a very, what we would consider, post-liberal direction. And Mao is criticizing the liberals as being the problem that's preventing communism from being able to take over. The Guomindang and the Nationalist Party are still in power. The Guomindang is the Nationalist Party. Let that not be confusing because I said and. Uh, they are the same thing. They were still in power in 1937, and communism wasn't taking up. So I'll read the whole thing starting back at the beginning. Mao Zedong, Combat Liberalism, September 7th, 1937, from the selected works of Mao Zedong on Marxists.org. He says, we stand for active ideological struggle because it is the weapon for ensuring unity within the party, or common good, I guess, and the revolutionary organizations in the interest of our fight. Every communist and revolutionary should take up this weapon. Which weapon? Active ideological struggle putting people on the spot and giving them a critical struggle session in order to force them to humiliate themselves, to confess to crimes that aren't real, and to adopt a, th a thought pattern that the post-liberal organization is trying to force on them. He says, but liberalism rejects ideological struggle and stands for unprincipled peace, thus giving rise to a decadent Philistine attitude which is exactly what the post-liberal right says about it, and bringing about political degeneration in certain units and individuals in the party and in the revolutionary organizations. You could say that if it's a Christian national movement, that liberalism around the church, the fact that we live in a secular society, secularism is the target they fire at, meaning the wrong thing by it, genuinely. Secularism is supposed to be that the state is not interfering in the church and not really a lot more. And this idea that we have this secular society that does whatever it wants and is, is not accountable to God, blah, 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 gives rise to a decadent Philistine attitude that brings about social and political de degeneration in certain units and individuals in the church. Mm. And the country and the revolutionary, or sorry, the church organizations. It's the same thing. So Mao says liberalism manifests itself in various ways. He says to let things slide for the sake of peace and friendship. When a person has clearly gone wrong and refrained from principled argument because he 
is an old acquaintance, a fellow townsman, a schoolmate, a close friend, a loved one, an old colleague, or an old subordinate, or to touch on the matter lightly instead of going into it thoroughly so as to keep on good terms. The result is that both the organization and the individual are harmed. This is one type of liberalism. Okay, so we already kind of touched on this. The idea that you're not going to struggle your friends, that you're not going to struggle your family, and you're going to prioritize keeping on good terms with acquaintances, friends, relations, etc. Instead of doing struggle to them for the purpose of applying the ideological weapon of active ideological struggle that he's talking about, he considers that to be a form of liberalism. So with regard to the post-liberal right, which has no power right now, you can imagine where they're going to go since they have the same mindset. There will be no friendships that aren't touched by the pressure of the ideological demands. There will be no relationships, no, what do we have? Acquaintances, townsmen, schoolmate, close friend, loved one, old colleague or old subordinate. You're going to have to call out everybody in your life, one way or the other, woke or post-liberal or post-liberal, woke or this post-liberal right. It's the same thing. Because they consider the idea that you might prioritize keeping the peace, having um, a good relationship with people, not making everything political. The personal is political is basically what's being said here. Hey, feminist, that's you. Screwing up the whole world. I paused there for a long time, so I didn't say the F word. Um, I get a little pissed off about that. The idea is to drag the political ideological struggle into every corner of life, okay? And there's your cancel culture. There's your call-out culture of the left. Nobody ever gets a moment's peace. Nobody ever gets to be, quote-unquote, wrong according to the ideology for the sake of the relationship. Then he says, to indulge in irresponsible criticism in private instead of actively putting forward one's suggestions to the organization. So don't talk to your friend who you think is doing something wrong privately. Rat him out to an institution. Isn't that what we see from the woke, these two things? Well, this is post-liberalism. To say nothing to people to their faces but to gossip behind their backs. Now, not necessarily a big fan of gossip, but anyway. Or to say nothing at a meeting but gossip afterwards. To show no reg- well, you know, pause here. Because when you're at the meeting, there's a power structure for real. And your prospects are under some threat. So sometimes it's not exactly the great thing. But here we have bring your whole self to work. We have this whole artifice of the woke thing. We're going to bring the values of the woke movement into everything. And we're going to struggle people. And if they don't get along then with it, then that's a problem. And when the power structure starts to tip, when you start to see the institution bend the knee, as we see with the universities, for example, or most workplaces, this actually works. Okay. To show no regard, he says, at all for the principles of collective life, but to follow one's own inclination. This is a second type. Actually, I would give you give them some of that. That is liberalism. To follow one's own inclination as an individual who is capable of reason and discernment and understanding the world around them is, in fact, the point of liberalism. And showing no regard at all for the principles of collective life uh, rather than, you know, holding yourself to some kind of a moral standard for yourself. Um, that in fact is we would, as a collective collectives have to be in a free society, kind of voluntary things. They can't be things that you're forced into. You can't be forced to participate in them. You have to be able to follow your own inclination and which may involve coming or going to let things drift 
if they do not affect one personally. So here again, we see the woke, but we also see the post-liberal right. You know, our societies become decadent. We recently saw one of the guys associated with American Reformer by the name of Matt Peterson on Twitter talking about how what people, what adults do, not people, adults, specifically adults do in the privacy of their own bedroom has massive implications for the construction of society and therefore is something that we can't really tolerate in their private. To let things drift if they do not affect one personally, you kind of get into everything when you're woke. See, they accuse people uh, that are white, for example, of not caring about or not, not supporting CRT because they say, well, the issues of black people don't affect you, as though CRT accurately represents those issues instead of contorting them into a sad victim morality tale of revolutionary with revolutionary potential behind it. This is the standard woke accusation, but you also see it everywhere. There's post-liberalism to let things drift if they, if they do not affect one personally. That's apparently bad. So you have to go become a moral busybody. That becomes a duty of conscience. The morality that you have decided, or more importantly, that the state has decided is the correct one, and you're a functionary of that, has to be impressed upon everybody at all times, everywhere, even in private, whether it affects you or not. That is totalitarianism. That is a totalizing perspective. That's what Robert Lifton warns about in the psychology of totalism that he writes about in the book, Thought Reform and the Psychology of Totalism. So to let things drift as if they do not, or if they do not affect one personally, to say as little as possible while knowing perfectly well what is wrong, to be worldly wise and play safe and to seek only to avoid blame. That is a third type of liberalism. That is not actually what liberalism is about. The whole point of having freedom of expression and freedom of the press freedom of belief enshrined in our First Amendment here in the United States. The whole point is so that you can speak up when you see something that is wrong. You don't have to do so, which is a straw man that Mao has created here, saying that that's what liberalism really is, is not doing it unless it affects you personally. It is, in fact, the ability to speak up when something is going wrong that is enshrined in our First Amendment. That is literally the purpose part of the purpose, the political purpose of liberal attitudes, to be worldly wise and play safe and seek only to avoid blame. Very few responsible people do this. Liberalism is not to be conflated correctly with what weak, sorry, kind of pathetic, self-serving people do within liberal systems. But this is the straw man. He says, not to obey orders, but to give pride of place to one's own opinions. Yeah, that's exactly the point of liberalism, Mal. That is correct. Free citizens do not have to obey orders. Do you understand? This is very simple. In totalitarian systems, in authoritarian systems, one does have to obey orders. When one joins a... Uh, rigid hierarchy like the military or the police, in those contexts, one does have to obey orders. Citizens are under no, free citizens are under no obligation to obey orders. If the president of the United States comes out and says everybody has to wear a mask, as a matter of fact, a free citizen of the United States has every right and in fact a moral duty to say, no, I don't, fuck you, I'm not doing it. So, sorry, that is liberalism, not to obey orders, because we live in a free society where orders aren't how society is organized. So not to obey orders, but to give pride of place to one's own opinions. 
to demand special consideration from the organization, but to reject its discipline. So there's some serious iron law of woke projection going on right there. Of course, this is a fourth type of liberalism. He says to indulge in personal attacks, uh, iron law of woke projection, pick quarrels, iron law of woke projection, vent personal spite, iron law of woke projection, and seek revenge, iron law of woke projection. Instead of entering into an argument, Iron Law of Oak Projection, and struggling against incorrect views. Oh, you mean subjecting people to struggle over the views that disagree with the party line and the orders. That's what he actually means. He says, not doing that is a form of liberalism. He says, so let me get it right, to indulge in personal attacks, pick quarrels, vent personal spite, or seek revenge instead of entering into an argument and struggling against incorrect views for the sake of unity or progress or getting the work done properly. This is a fifth type. To hear incorrect views without rebutting them, which, by the way, you can do. You can hear incorrect views or views that might be incorrect and mull them over. You can hear different opinions and think about them. You don't have to start yelling about them. You don't have to start shouting the thought-terminating cliches. You don't have to try to shut them down. That's all illiberal. To hear incorrect views without rebutting them and even to hear counter-revolutionary remarks without reporting them but instead to take them calmly as if nothing had happened. This is a sixth type. So to not act like a informant in a totalitarian regime is a form of liberalism. I'll accept that. I think that's a great form. I think that's actually a cornerstone of a high trust society in which we can enjoy the blessings of liberty, and I'll stand up for that. But I don't think we're going to find it in a post-liberal left or post-liberal right world, as Mao is explaining. To be among the masses and fail to conduct propaganda and agitation. Can you imagine the cheek of this guy? To be a person that's not doing propaganda and agitating. That's a bad thing. It's a, you have to be doing that all the time. Obviously, the woke are Maoists, so this completely makes sense. To be among the masses and fail to conduct propaganda and agitation, or speak at meetings, or conduct investigations and inquiries among them, and instead to be indifferent to them and show no concern for their well-being, forgetting that one is a communist, and behaving as if one were an ordinary non-communist. This is a seventh type of liberalism. And that's where we broke, because finally Mao got too explicit in his saying what a form of liberalism is, not wholly wrong. A liberal is somebody who doesn't report their friends for everything. A liberal is somebody who doesn't go out of his way to conduct propaganda and agitation or to investigate people and instead lets a lot of crap go because it's really none of your business because you aren't a communist. You're not a collectivist. You believe in the rights of the individual. That is a type of liberalism. In fact, that is the core of liberalism and it is what we need if we're going to protect the blessings of liberty against the tyranny of collectivism. He says to see someone harming the interests of the masses, and yet not feel indignant. Now think about the woke for a second. How many of this is the white knight clause, right? So you stand up for the oh, we have to stand up for the for the poor whatever, the poor racial minorities, sexual minorities, women, the women, W I M M I N. In case you know spelling it W O M A N would result in it saying man in there and insulting women who will also, by the way, not just call W-I-M-M-I-N, women, will also call birthing persons, chest feeders, bleeders, etc. So those are all in the interest of the party, so that's good. So to see someone harming the interest of the masses, which the communists and the woke claim to speak for, but actually railroad 
they bulldoze the, the needs of actual minority communities or masses or whatever. They send the communists. Mao was sending these ordinary masses off to the countryside into the thought reform prisons and labor camps and killing them by the tens of millions uh, while he spoke for them. The woke are absolutely bulldozing anything like civil rights. Uh, they're, they're absolutely just speaking over and for and doing a horrific job speaking over and for every one of the so-called minority groups they try to stand up for. Um, and then forcing them to toe the line. If they don't, they're the black face of white supremacy. They're a black face that doesn't want to be a black voice. That was a sitting congresswoman, Ayanna Presley, who said that. They're a brown face who doesn't want to be a brown voice. That's the same sitting congresswoman. They are a, uh, they are, they are, maybe it's Peter Thiel, and he's a gay conservative or businessman, at least. Anyway, he's, he's gay. And so he spoke up about whatever a few years back and they said he, he's not gay because he doesn't have the gay voice. So you can kind of see how this works. So see someone harming the interests of the masses and yet not feel indignant. So you're supposed to be pissed off all the time because people are, because you believe that society works the way the communists or the woke say it does, or maybe the Christian nationalists, and you have to be indignant that it's not going the way they want it to allegedly on your or their behalf. So to see someone harming the interests of the masses and yet not feel indignant or dissuade or stop him or reason with him, but to allow him to continue, this is an eighth type of liberalism. To work half-heartedly without a definite plan or direction. I don't know if you've ever seen com people that work in communist situations, unless the whip is being cracked over them, but it looks an awful lot like that. To work half-heartedly, I've been to China, I've seen it. To work half so here's here's one of the, here's an example. Um, there are these people in China that are street sweepers. Their job is to sweep the side of the highway. Sweep it. So, you know, with a broom. Because it's communist. They don't have the big machine. They have machines for everything. They can build a building in 15 minutes in China from nowhere. But they don't have a machine to clean the side of the road. They hire um, poor people and make them work in grueling conditions for subsistence wages under the communist program. And what they actually do to be more efficient in their work is that they get a bicycle and they take brooms that are actually bundles of sticks tied together. Um, very kind of old school brooms. And they tie them to the sides of the bicycle and ride back and forth up and down the shoulder of the highway on their bike. This doesn't achieve anything. And they don't ride very fast. They're not working very efficiently. I was at a bank in China one time and I asked to change money and they said, well, we don't change money at this bank anymore. And I knew this was not true. And then I actually said something in Chinese and all of a sudden they remembered that we do change money at this bank because they thought I could tell on them in Chinese. I don't, I speak like 12 words of Chinese badly, but it was enough to scare them into changing my money because they heard me say something in Chinese to somebody else actually, as it turns out. So to work half-heartedly without a definite plan or direction, to work perfunctorily and muddle along, quote, so long as one remains a monk, one goes on tolling the bell end quote. This is the ninth type of liberalism. That's not a type of liberalism. Liberalism allows for, under its utter protection of property rights, it allows you to own and use your property. You can use your property to attempt to gain more property if you wish. We call that capitalizing on your property, and it's the basis of the economic system that we often call capitalism that would more accurately be called a market economy. 
you are allowed to take advantage of those things that you possess within the range of your property rights and apply them to uh, your own prosperity, right? That is actually what 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 liberalism provides. And the thing is, when you you can muddle along, you can work half-heartedly, you can lack a definite plan and direction, you can kind of slump along or whatever. You can just go through the motions as the the proverb or the the aphorism here says. You could do these things, but you can also work your ass off. You can also feel motivated that hey, I have a chance to actually rise in this society by something other than kissing communist ass. And if I work hard and work well, I might get somewhere in my life. And what you end up doing is unleashing the one thing that communist societies have never figured out how to produce, which is productivity. The only way that communist societies have ever successfully produced any productivity, it turns out to be in China, and it was after Mao's death, when Deng Xiaoping made some deals with the West and started to create a limited market economy, where with certain permissions and under certain circumstances, people could get rich. They could unleash their productivity to rise in the hierarchy of society rather than everybody being equal. So we invent this thing that I've called previously productive socialism, and productive socialism turns out to be a corporate socialist fusion or synthesis, dialectical synthesis, which is the 21st century after it was piloted in China in the last two decades of the 20th century has become the prototype for the 21st century version of communism, which is ultimately communism. Get this into your head, guys. When I'm talking about these people being communists and Marxists, they are not classical Marxists. They've thrown that part of Marx in the river. They don't need that part of Marx. They are seizing the means of production, just like Marcuse said, by going into the means of production. They are using corporate power to do communist activity. In other words, they have dialectically synthesized their 20th century opposite for the 21st century. They have consumed and sublated fascism into, or corporatism, crony capitalism, into the state capitalism of the socialist program. And so they are fused. It is no longer in the, if we talk about historical movements in the 19, say, 30s, 20s, 30s, 40s, and so on, we can talk about the differences between fascism and communism. And I've done some podcasts on that. We actually can talk about those differences. In the 21st century, there is not a difference. They have synthesized into one program. It is communist aims by fascist means. And we're way off the track of talking about liberalism, but you need to understand what's actually happening in the world. The communists figured out in the 60s and 70s that going into the working professions, that going into the corporations and subverting them from within and taking command of their power structures to achieve communist ends, the completion of nature, the completion of society, the completion of man as it was intended to be, and to organize a new program of um, of, of, of kind of administra- administrative council, a managerial council for this, a Soviet for this, literally uh, in Russian, a Soviet for this under the branding of stakeholder capitalism empowered by ESG, environmental, social, and governance regulations that are going to capture all of industry. That's exactly what's gone on and happened. So anyway, they've got the idea of productivity completely backwards. Um, they've got the idea of what, what Mao said here is actually the exact opposite. Um, you are free in a liberal system to not capitalize on your property. Um, 
but you can also capitalize on it, and that is the prosperity and growth that you see throughout the West, having been unleashed there first and most successfully. And in communism, you don't have this. In, in China, you actually don't have this. You have a simulation of it. You have a pretense of it, because if you upset the Chinese government, it goes away right away. And it's actually primarily draining. It is doing a large amount of manufacturing, etc., under abhorrent working conditions for people in their communist redistribution scheme. And it's primarily draining the wealth out of the productive West to, to do it. So we carry on anyway. To regard oneself as having rendered great service to the revolution, to pride oneself as being maybe a good white, right? Uh, to pride oneself on being a veteran, to disdain minor assignments while being given, or sorry, while being quite unequal to major tasks, to be slipshod in work and slack in study. This is the tenth type. So being lazy and entitled, <laughs> iron level projection never misses, is apparently a form of liberalism. And if I guess if you're Yarm Hazoni and a post liberal, you probably believe that, but it's not true. It's actually not true, right? And this is the key woke part right here, to disdain minor assignments while being quite unequal to major tasks. That's supposedly a sign of liberalism, but that is not. This is exactly what the entitled useful idiots that move the woke revolution are. I have had talked to lots of people. I think my favorite was a veteran engineer in very rough conditions. It worked in Alaska, building ports and docks and whatever sea-facing, you know, things. And in the very rough seas, very cold water, very turbulent weather of Alaska. And he's, so he's a senior engineer, and he had these kids come. This is five, six years ago. He's telling me this. He's having all these kids coming straight out of college with their fancy engineering degrees, can't do a damn thing, don't have any experience, actually don't really know what they're doing, not very well trained as engineers because the schools are doing other things, and every one of them literally convinced that they should be a project manager within their first year. And then when he said, no, this isn't how it works with these young people under his tutelage, um, one of them actually spoke up, a young woman, and said, well, it's just that you don't want women to be project managers and try to do the sexist thing. And he's like, listen, kid, I'd make you a project manager tomorrow if I thought you wouldn't kill people. But the fact of the matter is you're not up to the task. And so she's like, well, yes, I am. And some other people join in at some point and said, yes, I, he said he heard this a lot. Yes, I am. Yes, I am. I don't know the exact details of the story. You know, we've got this degree, blah, 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 was kind of the argument. And he was like, well, when you've got like 20 years of experience of building things that work and don't work and fixing the things that didn't work and sticking in budgets and things and, and making it happen, then you can be a project manager, but there's no shortcut. It's a, like, it's a 20 year work experience process before you're going to become an engineering project manager in a major major job like this. And they were utterly indignant, right? So to see someone harming the interests of masses and not feel indignant, or to disdain minor assignments while being quite unequal to their to major tasks, this is literally their mindset. Indignant, entitled, disdaining of minor assignments. But of course, Mao has to hammer this in, and the woke should be paying attention to this, because what's going to happen is, if they get the revolution, they're going to get assigned a lot of stupid minor assignments, because they're mostly useless, and they're going to be a lot of boring, awful tasks that the regime wants done, and all you little cutesy-ass kids with college degrees who are flopping around and trying to figure out how to write your way into success, or whatever, instead of, you know, something else, are going to get stuck in the physical labor jobs. 
um, this is what's going to happen, and you're going to have minor assignments, and you're going to disdain them, but you're not equal to major tasks. So what Mao is doing is basically taking people, probably in many cases actually literally overqualified people because he was doing that. He was taking professors and teachers and professionals and sticking them in peasant work or, or hard labor or whatever to disdain minor assignments while being quite equal, unequal to major tasks, to be slipshod in work and slack and study. I mean, this is literally, he's just, this is iron law woke projection, but he had to hammer this on people so that he could justify that they have a station that's quite low and um, to force them to work hard in that and then to study, to study what? Communism. Okay, so uh, 11th type, he says, to be aware of one's own mistakes and yet make no attempt to correct them, taking a liberal attitude toward oneself. This is an 11th type of liberalism. So here he is again saying these things that you are permitted to be, but that we kind of disdain and that don't get you anywhere and that in a truly liberal or market system can serve as a point of reflection to motivate you to do something more. These become his straw man of liberalism because under his command economy, he can force you to be the thing that he's criticizing here. So you're only free to be that under liberalism. So see, that's a type of liberalism. So here he's is his attack on liberalism. And this is what he says. We could name more, but these 11 are the principal types. They are all manifestations of liberalism. And now listen to this next part. Liberalism is extremely harmful in a revolutionary collective. It is a corrosive which eats away unity, undermines cohesion, causes apathy, and creates dissension. It robs the revolutionary ranks of compact organization and strict discipline, prevents policies from being carried through, and alienates the party organizations from the masses which the party leads. It is an extremely bad tendency. This paragraph fits exactly to this concept of common good conservatism. They know what the common good is. So they would say liberalism is extremely harmful to the common good. It is a corrosive which eats away at unity, undermines cohesion, causes apathy, and creates dissension. It robs the community of compact organizations and discipline, prevents policies from being carried through, and alienates, say, the, the church or the whatever, the government, from the masses, which they lead. It is an extremely bad tendency. So I'm not. Tra I'm trying to transliterate this on the fly, and it's not perfect. But you get the idea. Post-liberalism looks like post-liberalism pretty much everywhere. He says liberalism stems from petty bourgeois selfishness, but that's exactly what the post-liberal right says as well. That's what the woke say. You're just selfish. You want to maintain your privilege. You're just selfish. You don't want to bend the knee. Literally, what I just said the first time is obviously woke, and what I just said the second time applies to both. Liberalism, he says, stems from petty bourgeois selfishness. That means, you know, you're you're the middle middle class, lower middle class. You're just you think that you're better than you are, though, and you're selfish and you just want to enjoy your life. It says it places personal interests first and the interests of the revolution second. Let's just read that again. It places personal interests first and the interests of the common good second. And this gives rise to ideological, political, and organizational liberalism. People who are liberals look upon the principles of Marxism as abstract dogma. Or people who are liberals look upon the principles of common good post-liberal conservatism as abstract dogma. They approve of Marxism or conservatism 
but are not prepared to practice it or practice it in full. They are not prepared to replace their liberalism by Marxism or common good conservatism. These people have their Marxism, but they have their liberalism as well. See, they're conservatives, but they're actually liberals too. They talk Marxism, but practice liberalism. They talk conservative, but they actually are liberal at heart. They apply Marxism to others, but liberalism to themselves. They keep both kinds of goods in stock and find a use for each. This is how the minds of certain people work, Mao says. He says, liberalism is a manifestation of opportunism and fundamentally conflicts with Marxism. Let's just read that again. Liberalism is a manifestation of opportunism and conflicts fundamentally with the common good. It is negative and objectively has the effect of helping the enemy. That is why the enemy welcomes its preservation in our midst. Wow, didn't that fit both movements at the same time? Such being its nature, there should be no place for it in the ranks of the revolution or in the common good society. We must use Marxism, or common good conservatism, we must use Marxism, which is positive in spirit, to overcome liberalism, which is negative. A communist should have largeness of mind, and he should be staunch and active, looking upon the interests of the revolution as his very life, and subordinating his personal interests to those of the revolution, or common good. Always and everywhere he should adhere to principle and wage a tireless struggle against all incorrect ideas and actions, so as to consolidate the collective life, or common good, of the party, and strengthen the ties between the party and the masses. He should be more concerned about the party and the masses, or the common good, than about any private person, and more concerned about others than about himself. Only thus can he be considered a communist, or somebody pursuing the common good. All loyal, active, and upright communists must unite to oppose the liberal tendencies shown by certain people among us and set them on the right path. This is one of the tasks on our ideological front. So that is Mao's short piece from 1937, very famous piece, called Combat Liberalism. And I wanted to share it with you so that, first of all, you understand that the woke, who are the ideological inheritors of Maoism, they are Western Maoists, work this way exactly. And you probably could have seen that very clearly, even if I didn't point to it. You can see all the seeds, or many of the seeds, of woke behavior. Not the specifics, but the general program written there in Mao Zedong. But the problem is you can also see exactly the mentality of the common good post-liberal right that wishes to try to be its only possible remedy. So by throwing away the thing that the communists want to throw away by destroying the thing the woke need to destroy, the common good right thinks it's going to save the day, rather than what it's going to actually do, which is at best, it might just get defeated or caught up in like Charlottesville 2.0 and used to vastly discredit and clamp down on civil liberties, especially of conservatives or people who are identified as or coded as conservative, whether they identify that way or not, whether they think that way or believe that way or not. At best, what it's going to do is create the apparatus that the woke are going to be able to infiltrate and subvert, which is what they're the best at, and then use on people who have lost their fundamental inalienable rights-preserving apparatus by throwing out the kind of government that is designed and at least somewhat still duty-bound and legally bound to secure those rights as its primary function. So the post-liberal right 
is going to basically set up the program that enables the post-liberal left to achieve its ends. And if the very, very best for the post-liberal right were to come to be, we get their totalitarian right-wing fascist state instead of the left totalitarian fascist state, which sounds like losing by winning, uh, in my opinion. But at any rate, I wanted to share this on its own. I know that I did this little trick with this post-liberal right to poke a needle in them, but I really wanted to share Combat Liberalism by Mao Zedong with you directly so you can see that the woke who are its inheritors are, in fact, the enemy of liberalism. The woke are not the evolution of liberalism. The woke are the evolution of Maoism into the Western context. They are using the principles and the forms and the aspects of liberalism itself to subvert liberalism. And you can hear how they're doing it. You can hear you know, from 1937, so you know over 80 years ago, Mao setting the stage for exactly that program, which is their program.